welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series four and episode 16, which we've entitled, Don't Be the Critic and Judge of Others. We're in the Sermon on the Mount and this is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, which is going to be the text we'll study in this episode. Thank you for joining us and I hope that many of you will have been following the Sermon on the Mount in series four because there's quite a number of talks. We're now on the 16th talk as we go through this amazing teaching of Jesus. But for the benefits of those people who haven't done that or are not entirely sure about the context, let's just remind ourselves, as we've done in previous episodes, that the Sermon on the Mount takes place at a very strategic time in Jesus' ministry. He spent a lot of time preaching around Galilee, his home district in the north of Israel, and gradually gathering disciples. And this came to a climax at the end of series three, when he went up a hillside or a mountain in Galilee and had some time of prayer overnight and then chose 12 of his disciples to become his apostles, his designated representatives or ambassadors who are going to share his ministry and take the kingdom forward alongside Jesus. As soon as he'd done that, he then, on the same trip, on the same mountainside, gathered his disciples and a crowd as well and started teaching fairly systematically. This seems to me to be a deliberate attempt to form a new community of faith. This is the beginning of the development of the community of faith, which will subsequently become the church. He's got the 12 founding leaders in place and now he is producing some key teaching for those disciples. This teaching is aimed at committed disciples. It's much admired by outsiders, but they don't follow its principles. And some of those principles you can't follow without faith anyway. But the Sermon on the Mount is for the discipleship community. And many of you hopefully will affirm that you are disciples and followers of Jesus. And this text, Matthew 5 to 7, is an incredibly important text for you to know well, to study and to follow. And we're hoping that it'll help shape your life and bring strength to your decision to follow Jesus and be one of his disciples. It covers uh, attitudes. We looked at the Beatitudes at the beginning. It covers the question of uh, where this discipleship community fits in with the law of Moses, as we saw in Matthew chapter 5. Um, it deals with a number of specific ethical issues, which we saw in Matthew chapter 5 as well. And then a number of religious practices, prayer, fasting and giving, were described in chapter 6 in the first half. Before in the second half, Jesus taught quite extensively on materialism and money. And that's been the subject of the last two episodes. And if you haven't heard those episodes, I'd really encourage you to do so because they're very radical. And uh, Jesus proposes that his followers shouldn't be worried about money. They shouldn't be accumulating money. They should be seeking provision for their life to have their needs met, but should be focused overwhelmingly on the kingdom of God and giving their energies not to storing up 
uh, material wealth uh, any more than they need to, but rather to advancing his kingdom. And so his teaching ended last time with this wonderful verse in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is amazing because we move from one radical teaching to another very quickly. There's so many remarkable things that Jesus says here. They're very, very challenging. And the last two episodes and its connection with money and materialism will have been challenging to many people listening in and viewing these videos during the last couple of episodes. They've been challenging to me. I have to keep going to reevaluate my own attitudes. Every time I come to scriptures like those, I find myself challenged and refined and refocused on the priorities of God's kingdom. So I trust those have been a blessing to you. But now Jesus moves to another very powerful issue. And this is an issue of attitudes. And he's now going to address just the way human beings tend to discuss and describe other people in very negative ways. It's just common in many societies. Gossip, anger, malice, accusations, condemnation of all sorts pours forth from us humans. We, we tend to find it very easy to criticise other people. And for the Christian disciple, this is quite a challenge in our public life, how we relate to people. How do we engage with this tendency to see the negative in other people and in other institutions and sometimes in other ethnic groups? So this particular teaching challenges that right to the core. So read with me Matthew 7 verses 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, uh, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, you may ask what on earth is this teaching about? It's clear that something big is at stake here. Jesus is being very punchy, very forthright in the things that he says. But there's a key that we need to use to unlock the meaning of this passage. And that is, what is the meaning of the word to judge that Jesus uses here? The Greek word that's written down by Matthew, we can translate in a number of different ways, the Greek word in the text. And so we're going to think about that 
a little bit now just so that we're quite clear. Do not judge or you too will be judged. The central meaning that Jesus is using for the word judge, to judge, is to make a negative and final judgment about somebody or something else. A bit like a legal judgment made by the judge at the end of a law case. I don't know whether you've ever been in court or seen a legal judgment. Obviously, uh, you can see them on television and in films frequently. And in that situation, the judge stands apart from the actual events that are being debated. There's an accusation against an individual person, perhaps, and then there's a defence. There might be lawyers involved. And the judge's responsibility is to make the final judgment, decision. And if the person is guilty of any particular crime against the law of that country, then the judge will condemn them. It'll be a negative judgment. It'll also be, to all intents and purposes, in most cases, a final judgment, which will lead to negative consequences. In my own country, the defendant or defendants who are being accused of a crime stand in the court in a certain place. And if they are condemned, then they are immediately removed from the court into prison. They don't get out. They go straight into prison. The negative consequences come if they have a prison sentence or if they have to pay a financial fine, then that fine is demanded very, very quickly. So the judge is not under scrutiny. No one's asking any questions about the judge. He or she is not a direct part of the immediate issue. They're standing back and looking at it with authority, with legal status, and they can make a decision as to whether they feel there is a crime that has been committed by that person or persons. They're given all the facts and they make a decision. Now, Jesus is using the word judge in a sense similar to that. We are not to finally and negatively condemn other people for their actions through what we might describe as a judgmental attitude. It's being judgmental, the attitude of having the right to finally and firmly and decisively and negatively assess other people that is being criticised. Jesus said it is not for Christian disciples to adopt that attitude towards other people. A judgmental attitude. This does not mean we may not notice they've done things wrong. We may not express an opinion about it, but we won't express it in a forceful, final, judgmental way. We'll be aware that we're not the judge in the absolute sense. We're not set apart. We're actually involved in human life and we can make mistakes and do things wrong just as much as the people we are observing. Now, Jesus, interestingly enough, deals with this particular issue uh, later on in his life in uh, a story that turns into a parable 
that I'm just going to mention just to try and give you uh, an example of what Jesus probably meant when he said, do not judge. If we turn to Luke 18 and verse 9, we have in the following passage a parable that's quite well known and we'll study it in more detail later on. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Here's how the story goes. Two men go up into the temple one day to pray, the temple in Jerusalem, the central place of worship for the Jews. One of them was a Pharisee. Now, we already know, and we'll find out more about this, but we already know that the Pharisees were one of the strictest and most religious groups in all of Judaism. And they prided themselves in the fact that they obeyed the law of Moses, that they fasted, they gave their money to the poor, and they prayed regularly, they fulfilled all their religious duties, and they tended to have a rather proud attitude. So a Pharisee goes to the temple in order to pray. And many people did that. There was lots of space in the temple. You could pray privately and walk around the different courts and choose a quiet corner or stand and pray aloud. Then he sees near him another man who's come to the temple who is a tax collector. He knows him to be a tax collector. The tax collectors were considered the most irreligious of the Jewish people. They didn't go to the temple very often. They didn't go to their synagogue on the Sabbath day very often. They were known to be semi-criminals who were working with the Roman authorities collecting tax, but the Romans allowed them to collect extra tax from people without telling them that it was extra tax and keep for themselves the extra that they might earn. So they became very rich and very corrupt, very materialistic and very unreligious. And the Pharisees saw this man and immediately thought to himself and said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, his attitude was to judge the men in a final way, to put himself above them, to consider himself to be superior at a very fundamental level. Now, it turns out the tax collector was very convicted of sin, very burdened by the failure of his life and the way he'd turned against God. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the story goes. But the interesting thing from our point of view is the introduction by Luke, which reads as follows. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. That is what we mean by judgmentalism. And it turns out in the story that Jesus asked the question of the listeners, well, who was justified? Who was forgiven by God? The Pharisee who was praying very proudly and looking down on the tax collector, or the tax collector who just was uh, had his head down, was crying out to God from the bottom of his heart, asking for mercy. And he said, well, actually, it's the tax collector who received mercy, not the Pharisee. 
So the judgmental person turns out to come under the judgment of God himself. And that's the thing that Jesus wants to emphasize here. For disciples, we can't afford to have these hard and fast and fixed attitudes against other people. That's not part of the way that we live. And if we are judgmental towards other people, we're likely to come under God's judgment himself. This point is made clear in Romans chapter 14, because God's judgment here probably doesn't mean his eternal and final judgment, but his refining judgment. Listen to this passage from Romans 14, verses 10 to 13. You then, when you judge your brother or sister, why do you treat them with contempt? For we'll all stand before God's judgment seat, as it is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He's basically saying there, don't judge your brother or sister. Don't have a harsh attitude as if you are the judge in a law court. We're not entitled to do that. And then Jesus goes on and gives an extraordinary illustration about two men, one man trying to help another person who's got just some little dust in his eye or a speck of dirt from the road. I'm sure you know what I mean. This happens all the time. Just some little irritation in the eye. Something's got in the eye. A little bit of dust, a little bit of soil, a tiny insect, something from an industrial process, something from the house. Children often have that and they call out to their parents, mum, dad, there's something in my eye. And you have to go and open up the eyelid and very, very carefully try and uh, get that tiny little irritant out of the eye. And it only takes a tiny little irritant to make the eye water and for the person to feel some pain. And so Jesus tells this story and says, look, if you go and try and take some tiny little speck of dust out of someone else's eye, but you've got a whole plank of wood in your eye, how are you going to do it? Now, this is what we call hyperbole, an exaggerated story to make a point. Everybody knows there isn't such a thing as a plank of wood that can go in your eye. It's far too big. It's obvious. It's a hyperbole. It's an exaggerated story. But it exaggerates in order to make us think. What could be that big thing that clouds my vision and makes it difficult for me to help somebody else in need or sort some problem out in their life? Well, Jesus has got the answer to that. The big problem for us can be a judgmental attitude. So if we have a fixed negative attitude towards someone and then we say to them, I'd like to help you, then Jesus said we shouldn't be doing that. We've made ourselves superior to them and we have assumed a right to sort out their lives. Now, as I say this, you can probably think of people who function like that. They're not difficult to spot in life, are they? There are people like that. And the interesting thing about them is they're always right. Do you know anyone who's always right? Other people are wrong, but you're never wrong. Such a person is 
a judgmental person. The person who wants to correct another is often unaware of the wrong judgmental attitude with which they approach the task. So when we approach our brothers and sisters in the church or other people we're dealing with concerning things that maybe are wrong or not working in their life that they need to deal with, the point Jesus is making is we approach them with humility, with openness, with flexibility, maybe suggesting some possible things, rather than being dogmatic and dominant and or even controlling and self-righteous like the Pharisee in the story that I told of the two men going up to the temple to pray. First of all, take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Jesus is very aware that the church as a community is gradually being formed. We're just seeing the early stages of it here. Twelve apostles, a wider discipleship group. They're just beginning to get established. And within three years, Jesus will have died and raised, been raised again from the dead and ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit will have come. The church will be launched. And these relationships between people will become incredibly important because a whole new family will be born. The church is a family, a discipleship community. And our attitudes towards one another have to be very carefully watched because judgmentalism and a wholly negative attitude will lead to divisions and splits and all sorts of problems in the church community. And that doesn't bring glory to God. Then we come to verse 6. This is a very powerful and perplexing verse. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, dogs is a, a metaphor for outsiders or Gentiles people who are not Jews. And pigs were unclean animals that were not allowed in Israel. The Jews were not allowed to deal with pigs or to own them or touch them. So Jesus is basically saying that the, the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching he's given, is sacred and it's not to be given in a hurry to people who won't understand what it's all about. Some people are simply not ready to receive the message that the Sermon on the Mount brings. The Gentiles were not yet ready to receive the sacred message of the gospel at this particular time. And so Jesus is saying, if disciples try to teach the Sermon on the Mount to outsiders who are outside the faith, it will be rejected and they also will be rejected. The top, the, the subject of this statement is probably primarily the Sermon on the Mount itself. And this is a very interesting point because Christianity is sometimes taught as though it's an ethical code and you communicate to outsiders and say these are the principles of Christian life about family life and morality and sexuality and honesty and integrity and hard work, 
loving your neighbour, all those kind of things. But Jesus is warning here, don't just treat the Sermon on the Mount as something you can give to any person indiscriminately. This is aimed at the discipleship community. People outside the faith primarily need to hear the central gospel truth about Jesus dying for them, about human sinfulness, about the need for change in their lives, and particularly about the power of God's love and forgiveness through the cross. That's the message that is going to communicate effectively. But the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and other similar teachings, of which there are quite a number in Matthew, ethical teachings, discipleship teachings, these cannot just simply be given to non-Christians and said, this is Christianity, do it. It doesn't work like that. This message is for those who are in the faith. Now, I want to conclude this teaching by just comparing uh, Matthew's teaching here with the parallel teaching in Luke. And Luke 6 verses 37 to 38 gives an extended account of the teaching about not judging others, where we started at the beginning. And this is where we're going to end. Luke just amplifies this a little bit as Jesus teaches. Luke 6 verses 37 to 38. Do not judge and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now this is very interesting. Because in Luke's account, Jesus links not having a judgmental attitude with a few other things that are important. Number one, forgiveness. Very interesting. You see, sometimes we're negative and judgmental about people who've hurt us or damaged our family or our lives. And so we harden our attitude against them and we become very judgmental towards them. But Jesus says, don't judge. But he also says, forgive them. And then he goes on to say, give and it will be given to you. There's even a possibility that you might be giving to the people who hurt you, who you forgave, who you're tempted to judge. Such giving will lead to a special blessing from God. Luke 6 verse 37 to 38 is in Luke's parallel account of the Sermon on the Mount and therefore it's appropriate to link this teaching together. That's radical and that's revolutionary. So my concluding reflections as we bring this episode to a conclusion. Well, this teaching is obviously incredibly challenging. It causes us to be very self-reflective and I'd love you to spend a little bit of time thinking about your own life. Have you fallen into judgmentalism? Have you hardened yourself against people who've hurt you and described them 
in very negative and judgmental ways? If so, the Lord's speaking to you through his word saying, don't be that judge. Let God be the judge and forgive that person. We need a lot of self-reflection and we need humility. It's only from a place of humility that you can really help and shape other people when they do things wrong. God wants us to have discernment and awareness and understanding of right and wrong and opinions about that. There's no problem with that. But not judgmentalism. Judgmentalism fixes those opinions, makes them inflexible and separates yourself from the process of dealing with that particular issue. You become the judge. No, we're not the judge. God is the judge of people who may have caused us pain and sadness and hurt. Let him be the judge. We should be discerning and wise in our opinions, never negative, final, and making ultimate judgments against people. Let's be humble. Let God be the judge. And then we'll be able to build an effective life of discipleship and we'll have an appropriate humility that will enable us to have a tremendously powerful effect on other people. Because if you're humble, then as you're dealing with them and dealing perhaps with problems in their lives that need dealing with, then you walk alongside them to help them rather than pointing the finger at them from a distance. Let God be the judge. Let us not be judgmental. Let's be humble and walk humbly with our God. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.